This is Dojo Live, Tech Without Borders, stories that bring us together. Good morning and happy Tuesday, this March 21st, 2023. My name is Kim Lantis, welcoming you to Dojo Live, along with my co-host, America Guerrero. Hello, everybody. Hello, America. And of course, hello to Amit Govrin, who is the CEO of Kuya. He will be talking to us today. We're excited to learn from you, Amit, and thank you for joining us. Thank you for having me here. Yes. So, you know, we're really excited. I'm excited about today's conversation. I think it's two very timely topics. The one's been around a bit longer than the other. That's AI and DevOps and how Kubia is bringing those two things together. But before we which get is, into the which topic. Which has been around longer. It's a pop quiz for you. Oh, AI. Did I get oh. it right? <laughs> I did some research. I did some research. I think AI okay. is around the 60 year mark and DevOps is pushing 20 or something. Like okay. That. I, I, yeah. I, that, that was important to note. So, <laughs> yes, for sure. Um, and, but so before we get into that, I would love to get to know you a bit better. I mean, your kind of your story, your passion. Um, I know this isn't your first rodeo as an entrepreneur, but sure. what led up to Kuya? Absolutely. So, um, I'm originally from Israel, uh, you know. Hard to tell by my name, but, <laughs> but uh, certainly uh, I'm, I'm uh, uh, you know, I've been around uh, on, on a few rodeos, as you mentioned, my previous company is uh, what brought me over to the United States as uh, in the DevSecOps domain, did a nice little stint in uh, Amazon uh, running uh, partnerships at, uh, uh, for, for DevOps and uh, DevSecOps. So uh, near and dear to my heart, uh, this topic, uh, you know, previous uh, uh, executive roles in FinOps companies, uh, early days in, uh, in the FinOps domain, uh, cloud analytics. Uh, so I'm, I'm well versed in, in this particular domain, but more specifically, the world of, uh, of AI has been near and dear to my heart even prior to. I've been uh, following a lot of uh, the evolution of this and um, it's 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 very timely discussion, you know. Uh, Kubia sure. one we stood ourselves up uh, prior to ChatGPT. Funny enough, uh, there wasn't any way to really easily anchor people to what we're doing, so we're just talking about ourselves as Siri for DevOps. Funny enough, uh, and that was the best way for people to uh, associate uh, what what we're doing in in terms of uh, anchoring them to the topic in in the world of DevOps. So, yeah, so you're um, like, thank you, chat GPT. <laughs> it's been a very big, uh, it's, it's also introduced quite a lot of noise, if you can imagine, to the ecosystem. It definitely has. It's a really, <laughs> I've only used it thus far for something fun. And that was like you randomly sure. had to pick uh, movie genres and title directors and actor and actress, and it like spit out some synopsis. And I was like, not bad. I'd, I'd watch that. <laughs> but yeah, it's great to have something to, I think, wrap your head around and make what you're doing a bit more tangible um, yeah. for folks. So let's talk a little bit about your chat GPT for, for DevOps. What are you doing at Kubia? Uh, sure. I, I'll, I'll try to narrow down to more real world use cases. Uh, we don't have to get too, uh, too in the weeds and on the technical aspect, but think about how we're solving two separate sides of the user experience, both for the DevOps or the operator side. 
end-to-end -end users and end users and uh, organization can be uh, business users, it could be finance, uh, but oftentimes I would say it's uh, developers as well uh, in IT. And uh, one side of this and considers kind of the end user experience. Um, we uh, introduce ourselves as kind of a Slack, uh, Slack ops or, or, or chat ops type of interface where everything's embedded within uh, very easy to consume interface. Slack is being kind of the primary one, but we're also uh, introducing uh, for Teams and others. And think about this as having a chat GPT-like experience. You can talk to the bot, you can joke around with it, you can, <laughs> I saw a post, uh, one of my colleagues had their 11-year-old daughter uh, chat with it uh, this morning, asking what their uh, health, uh, what their um, skincare routine was, and it gave a whole answer around it. It was pretty entertaining. <laughs> I didn't know we <laughs> we had that type of uh, death to to to, to Kubi our uh, mascot. Uh, we call him Kubi for Kubi. Uh, but you can you know it will tell you what his favorite wine is and uh, his favorite place to take a date and so forth. So it's pretty wild in terms of the interaction you can do. But in wow. a more practical sense, beyond just giving you the weather and 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 so forth, is uh, access to information, organizational information that's typically hard to find or access or sometimes dated information. So think tapping into Confluence pages, Notion pages, your documentation pages, and asking it, how do I create a workflow? How do I uh, access this resource? Where do I go? Who's on call? And it will go and give you, in, in an embedded type of experience, a link to that or uh, a bun to action it and so forth. So it's very easy. You don't have to overthink anything. You don't have to go into figure out on your own. Even prior to ChatGPT, uh, Stack Overflow was very popular amongst developers. And for no other reason, because I was the most trusted source of information that they could easily access. Uh, but you still had to read through it. You still had to vet out some of the responses. And imagine now, you have um, the human feedback element that we've introduced, which is kind of the rating system, thumbs up or down as to the responses. So the more feedback you give the system, the more customized to, to your persona it becomes uh, as an organization huh. and as a user. Yeah, um, and if this is an organizational tool, then those thumbs up, thumbs down. I mean, the trust component, the reliability mm -hmm. component it increases dramatically, Absolutely. I'm sure. Absolutely. Now, now this, I think, go ahead. I'm sorry to interrupt, but I think oh. it's a great moment to introduce the actual topic that you brought to us today. Uh, but sure, sure. What, what were you going to say? I'm sorry. Well, well, that was one aspect of it. The other aspect, which is um, more for the operator side of it, is how to create. And that's another big pain is, yes, I want to introduce a new system, but what is a lift associated with that? How hard is it to create my own automations or my own workflows or my knowledge management system. And here we've introduced the concept of generative AI for workflow automation, where you can prompt the system to create a workflow, create a uh, workflow on Amazon that creates a Lambda function, list all regions, for example, and we'll go and create that for you. And you could actually test it out, make sure it actually speaks your language. You can add some additional steps. You can add approval flows. Uh, it respects all the concepts of platform engineering and DevOps, for example, deeply integrated to inter uh, to um, identity providers, GitOps, uh, Terraform, all, all of the concepts that uh, DevOps would expect to have from a developer tool. 
So yeah, yeah. That, that's fantastic. Cause I mean, I think this is making a lot of sense to me, mm -hmm. right. With the chat GPT analogy, because it's like writer's block, I think is one of the first that chat GPT helps with, right. I want to create this content. I want to do something. I don't even know where to start. Um, yes. And so you've got this like coding block, like, Oh, good. Where do I start? And it could give you this idea where it's probably not perfect, but this really strong starting point where then you get to come in and tweak it and make it your own, right? Because, um, and I think that's extremely fantastic, which leads into today's topic as chosen by you, Amit. Mm -hmm. Which is AI, the modern, the modern day industrial revolution. How should we be viewing our relationship with intelligent machines in the world of IT infrastructure and operations? So please share with us, Amit, the answer of this question. <laughs> It seems a bit dramatic, so let's let's maybe take a step back and kind of uh, review the world of automation because that's kind of the initial step of how why mm -hmm. we came about our relationship with machines in general, and then we can talk maybe open more on uh, on the modern day uh, you know yeah. artificial intelligence. So going all the way back to the industrial revolution, machines. Uh, yeah, because <laughs> because we made that comparison. Let's let's actually say what it is. The first industrial revolution, and I'll try to cliff notes it down to kind of bullets, right? Um, I mean, it started before 1913, but the introduction of moving assembly line, which prior to, you know, in the Ford Motor Company, um, it was uh, factory workers who were responsible for every aspect of it, uh, of uh, nutting and bolting every single, uh, and, and canvassing every single piece of, of uh, the Model T, right? Initially, uh, it was very time consuming. They could maybe get a couple dozen out in the course of a month or a year uh, in terms of uh, getting the units out. But then the introduction for smart assembly lines or moving assembly lines came about. All it really did was put the object on a line and start you know, having domain expertise in every single one of these areas moving across and then people could focus on their main domain of expertise it would obviously automate the you know the movability of, of the object and now you could go and produce quantum leaps and bounds amount of product okay and the operator wasn't the human operator who actually created uh, who was an assembly line worker wasn't replaced all they did was they were elevated in many respects to a operator of the machinery, right? And if anything, it created more value for them and possibly even more pay because now they're able to show their skill. It was upskilling their ability to be domain experts in what they're doing. Now, I regard AI in many respects in this way. AI is not gonna replace us, definitely not overnight and certainly not um, in the coming years, okay? Um, Human feedback is very important for fine-tuning the artificial intelligence. So it's it, there's a it's called reinforcement learning with human feedback, RLHF. For anybody who wants to look it up, that's the training uh, for for a lot of these large language models that essentially helps create that bidirectional input into the system in order to fine-tune it. And if you want to see what that looks like even in a less uh, modern uh, respect. Uh, anybody use Waze for navigation before um, versus, I don't know, Google Maps. So uh, people who've used Waze 
they've seen it's a social navigation. What makes it social navigation is it's not just feeding a one directional from the satellite over to the end user. And okay, I'm driving on 101 and here I am uh, all of a sudden stuck in traffic. Well, the satellite didn't pick that up. Well, maybe there was a pileup that happened five minutes ago, but the satellite didn't pick it up. But if you were using Waze, maybe somebody who was using Waze as well reported that right when they're witnessing that and the system can now go and adjust some of that data input into it and now show you there's a potential hazard in front of you maybe get off the next exit so that's kind of how you can look at a human feedback loop into the machines in order to go and to fine-tune your your overall experience with them and that's very important especially in infrastructure and automation and operations where uh, accuracy is of highest uh, value here um, no one's going to get fired for doing things longer as long as it was done properly. But if you're trying to cut corners and uh, letting a, a you know, hallucinogenic agent in, uh, inside of an artificial intelligent model tell you some and, and you base your decision off of that, that's usually not the right approach. Um, and that's why having that bidirectional feedback loop and have, being able to adjust and to influence the, the, the input that you're going to get uh, is super, super relevant for, for uh, the world of operations. And, and that's kind of right. what we're introducing. So, and and yeah. that coming back to what you mentioned earlier in the show, the mm -hmm. kind of thumbs up, thumbs down, agree, mm -hmm. disagree um, kind of conversation, the voting, so to speak, that helps reinforce. Um, that's one, that's one element. There's others, but that that's one area where you can influence that decision-making of, of the system as well. Yeah. Super interesting. So let's talk about, you know, this, the viewing of our relationship with intelligent machines, you, mm -hmm. you know, IT infrastructure operations. So your view, of course, is that people are always going to be involved. People will always need to be involved. What's the benefit in, in your mind? I mean, okay, we have this industrial revolution comparison. We've got speed, you've got output, you've got consistency, um, you know, domain expertise, what what else can is coming out about or what else do you see in the future of the benefit of keeping down the same path that we're kind of inevitably on, I think? Well, I think we just need to reassess our relationship with machines as opposed to being stuck in our old ways. I mean, I think that that goes without saying the benefit of artificial intelligence could be a global saving. I mean, think about all the other impacts that uh, global warming has on us and social mobility and so forth. There's a lot of things that uh, artificial intelligence can possibly help save humanity down the line. So we need to look at it from a positive way and not just from, um, I think uh, it was South Park. They have an episode called They Took Our Jobs, right? I, I always <laughs> use that analogy. They took our jobs. So human humans need to adjust okay i'm not saying there's not going to be areas where uh, artificial intelligence will directly influence their uh, their jobs as they're done today but that's where it's up to us to really adjust kind of our mindset and how we want to go and see ourselves in the future and then evolve as well i mean uh prompt engineering is probably the most uh, thought after kind of a new career because prompt engineering is how do you go and fine tune the machine with your own prompts, with your own words. So 
uh, creating a language uh, that's common with machines. And that's actually been the biggest revolution of large language models. I was talking about even before uh, ChatGPT was around uh, about how humans and machines interact. This, this has been kind of that inflection point. So I'll, I'll give you an office example. I, I love using examples that are yes, not please. necessarily uh, you know, technical, but can be pretty common. So everyone's running, you know, uh, sitting around a water cooler, right? In England, I'm using England or America for English purposes here. So you're, you're around the, the water cooler and your CEO, uh, the office assistant, C CFO, head of engineering, all these different personas are drinking water around the cooler, speaking English to each other in this case, right? Um, and along comes a machine, right? A virtual assistant, okay? It sounds like a joke. <laughs> well, it kind of sounds like it, but but that's but but let me show you how ridiculous our relationship with machines have been up until now, because somebody comes who doesn't speak your language, automatically you you have to adjust. And in this case, it was a machine. And up until now, we were only able to speak in code and low code with it. Okay. You could only interact with it in, in code or low code, you know, low code being kind of that in-between step, uh, the evolution where you could actually visualize uh, a box and drag and drop it and it would convert into code. At the end of the day, the machine would only understand that. Along comes large language models and, and we're in the forefront of this. And we say, one second, no longer do you have to, everyone adjust their skill set in order to speak the language of the machine now we have to educate the machine to come down to a level of the humans and speak English and then convert that into code. So the ability to convert um, intents into natural language that converts into actions, right? And now the machine is smart enough to understand English and join the crowd and everyone can, can laugh about it and, and tell uh, makeup jokes and, <laughs> and, and, and where, what's your favorite bottle of wine and beer, right? Because now everyone can have that common language. That's what large language models have really kind of plateaued, you know, leveled the playing field to how we interact with machines, human to machine interaction. Okay. And, and that's kind of what I'm saying. Yeah. And you say that this technology could be applying globally in mm -hmm. everywhere, right? But yeah. currently, right now, who are your customers? Which is the industry that is utilizing this technology yeah. to grow? Are you seeing this that in the healthcare industry there is a lot of potential growth, or what can you, what are you seeing right now? Sure, and I, I don't want to generalize too much. It's it really comes down to who the persona is in the organization, which is the IT or platform engineer or developer persona, uh, where they're seeing a lot of their pain kind of on the end user experience. We built and stood up all these platforms, all these different tooling, all these different automations. Uh, but then Fred tries to access it and has no idea how to run a Jenkins job and bangs his head against the wall and goes back into a Jira ticket queue to talk to uh, Bob, okay, who is busy in 30 different queues. And he only gets to, to go about and interact with Fred in, 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 in you know, two days later. And... Fred was just two days sitting on his hands in many respects, waiting to get uh, ushered to that next uh, to 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 get unblocked. Okay, and that is one thing that happens 
time and time again. It could be in the healthcare industry. It could be in technology. And the the, the deeper tech it is, um, the, you know, the more startup vibe it is, uh, the more modern technology we're referring to in Terraform and and uh, infra, uh, infrastructure as code. And we can talk about kind of different workflow automation and so forth. Uh, GitOps and so forth, but uh, Kubernetes, right? All the different modern day uh, technology stack. But if you're you're talking about operations, that is global. That is across the board. And as long as you have an API, uh, which is essentially an interface where you can go and talk to a system, you can go and use Kubia if you're mm -hmm. talking about Kubia, but really our system to interact with it. Okay, and that could be for knowledge retrieval. You know, how much is my environment costing me? uh on so-and-so region this week okay um who can get access to so-and-so resource if someone is trying to provision and it requires certain permissions or certain uh, approvals then it would know to go and to create that approval flow and also log that into a jira ticket for audit trail or or create an audit trail around it and push out to a sim and then have somebody uh, see if there's uh, some kind of anomalous behavior behind that. There's all sorts of different use cases that can come out of this. I, I don't want to limit kind of it to, to mm -hmm. one or two or three. Create a new environment on demand. You know, that's that's yeah. one aspect of it, but it's very limited in scope to what we can do. Yeah. In the terms of like this artificial intelligence and how teams are currently using your Kuya, primarily in Slack you mentioned and working toward other ways, but is this limited to the internal team, like who has access to this information? Or are you able to do and lean on a more global set of experts, you know, get those questions answered in more real time, something so, similar? Uh, yeah, go ahead. So, so I don't, you know, I, I need to keep uh, customer information confidential and so forth, but there is um, a company uh, that, uh, works with digital assets in Hollywood, okay? And they, uh, it's, it's like a data, data, uh, data management system for Hollywood studios. And one of their biggest use cases is our project managers uh, need to create all these assets and copy them over and share it with our end customer. And this pain is very, this process is very tedious and requires a lot of human interaction with assets with the other uh, person in a loop and oftentimes just permission to go and to get to copy an f3 object from one to the next requires a lot of domain uh, technical domain expertise from a very small subset of users and that's what creates a, a backlog uh in in uh, sla that typically is not proportional to the effort involved if if it was all you know uh, in real time and here, the system can really insert itself in there and help streamline, automate a lot of these sub workflows and sub processes, and and really, you know, the approval flow, the object uh, copying from uh, for, of infrastructure, moving. You know, there's uh, I think one of their um, uh, it's called PixMover. It's one of the APIs that we call on that you could actually go and have a conversation, dialogue with an interface. It's not even our interface. It's it's a third party tool. But it's all within Slack using us. We're orchestrating that process and orchestrating the various processes in between. And now you could have essentially a chat GPT-like experience interacting with the assets of, of the customer and going ahead and creating those approval flows and sending in and creating an end-to-end -end use case mm -hmm. without ever having to leave Slack. So wow. that's kind of the, the idea behind this. 
And it's fascinating. I mean, going back to your water cooler example, the onus is now on the machine to be able to talk to everyone. Yeah. And, right. and this, this democratizing of our ability to kind of communicate, right? Where, you know, as a project manager, if I don't have, you know, this not low code, but now no code, I don't know how to do any of this, but now it's as simple as getting what I need, getting the numbers I need, the data that I need without having to bother um, somebody else or wait on somebody else mm -hmm. with that domain knowledge, right? To access Speaking to your assets, knowledge. speaking to your resources, speaking to, that's, you know, that's the chat GPT like experience, right? And, that's exactly. And, and the language that I speak in, um, that's perfect. Mm -hmm. Talking uh, about languages. No Spanish, yeah. I mean, it, you can translate it to any language. It's really I was just going to ask that. I was just going to ask that. We use the English ex example, but um, any language or how, how does that work? It's it's just a matter of enabling it. Yeah. It's the uh, collecting information, right? Yeah. I mean, I mean, language, I mean, Google Translate, we just need to tap into the various uh, language models out there. I mean, usually most of them support multiple languages already. So, yeah. Fantastic. And what does the, what does the setup of something like this look like? I mean, how mm -hmm. how is this learning? Like, what's what do I need to get started? Like, what's the input? Um, like, how do you get the ball rolling, so to speak? As an end user, it's very simple. All you have to do is add to Slack, and it will go and authenticate you in your own Slack workspace. As an example, already comes with pre-configured and pre-built uh, workflows that you can interact. It already has a pre-populated large language model with a lot of knowledge already baked into it. So uh, the more you interact with it and the more feedback you give it, the more it becomes more personalized experience. But if you want to go and hook up your Confluence page or your Notion page to it or your Docs page to know to ask it questions about your own organization, all you have to do is insert a link and kind of enable that within the system. You want to hook up GitHub to it. You want to hook up AWS to it. You know, all you have to do is provide those credentials and they're in a secure manner and very easy to do it. It is fascinating. I imagine that 10 years ago, you imagine this kind of technology in a big device with a huge computer. But if you have it in a Slack, you can have it in your mobile, right? And you hit on a very important point. And, and again, this is to our own audience who are very familiar with this pain you know, you may be driving down traffic. You just left office. You just signed off. You just shut down the computer. And lo and behold, there's a fire drill, uh, which tends to happen. Uh, maybe you're on call. Maybe you're not. You're typically not supposed to be driving when you're on call. But, you know, now all of a sudden you have to go into reset somebody's environment. And you have to go and stop in the middle of the highway, connect, tether your phone to it, connect to a VPN, and go and enable that. That costs the company a lot of money, okay? A cost of security risk. It, it, there's a lot that goes on in these type of environments where here, all you have to do is sign on Slack and press the Slack button. You didn't have to do anything else. There's a full audit trail. Uh, if, if you're creating approval flows and permissioning, there's there's all sorts of guardrails you can put in place to, to protect uh, this type of environment, you know, instead of having some kind of a uh, 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 um, count takeover scenario. I mean, uh, authentication is baked into this platform. So, yeah. Amazing, amazing. So, you know, we've come to the end of our kind of half hour today. I'd sure. like to bring it back to you, Amit, as mm -hmm. a leader, um, as we're looking into this revolution, this idea of innovating. How have you gone about kind of maintaining that type of culture with your team and mm -hmm. 
maybe some advice that you might have for others who are continuing to push into the future? <laughs> yeah, and I don't think there's a, a there's a template that works for everyone. We we were born into a multi-site distributed type of environment where I'm located in the United States uh, along with a small team. We have our R&D team based in uh, Tel Aviv, Israel. Uh, we even have uh, someone at Berlin. So the idea is uh, we're already a distributed team as it is. And we have our um, weekly, now it's bi-weekly just because of the frequency of it is a team happy hour where we share stories. Uh, we give highlights, lowlights, uh, you know, with the good is always a bad and you always have to be transparent with everyone. You know, if there's things that aren't going according to plan uh, and we take a team photo and uh, the office in Israel, uh, they have a nice little uh, food platter, usually some delicious that at 7 a.m. my time, I'm, I'm always eyeing enviously and telling them they should stop boasting about, about it. But, you know, trying to get that vibe and, and the human element to it is very important because, look, I don't have to say to anybody who hasn't lived under a cave or a rock the last couple of weeks, uh, startup life is not easy. Okay? I mean, Silicon Valley Bank happened. First Republic Bank happened. Um, we had some of our money in Silicon Valley Bank. It's out now, but I'm, I'm just giving you kind of a reflection of reality. Being in a startup in general is a fight for your life. Being in a startup in today's environment is 10 times that. And, and you always have to have perspective, you know, celebrate the good because oftentimes there's a lot of good that, that, that happens around you and you don't necessarily remember because all you see is the doom and gloom of the analysts and the markets in front of you and and you really have to kind of rise about that noise it's not easy it's like a roller coaster right you know i i joke around with people that five to ten times a day i'm between top of the world and wanting to jump off a building like i don't know what to tell you it really depends who i just spoke with and what their most recent news is you know that i've, I've received it's it's not easy so uh, always keep the main thing, the main thing, and kind of try to be as level-headed as you can is, is what's going to get you through these type of uh, uh, ups and downs. So, yeah. I love it. You know, level-headedness, perseverance, I'm hearing, and the sure. humanity of it all, which is quite fitting, I think, for the product that you and your team have made and continue to, to build out. Absolutely. So, so thank you. Thank you so much, Emmy, for your time today here on, on Dojo Live. We wish you and the rest of the Kuvia team nothing but success in this, this 2023 and, and beyond. Thank you. Appreciate it. Yes, you're welcome. America, you can time. you please let us? Yes, yes. Hang on just one second as we go off there. Um, but before we do, we'd like to introduce the next show that we have um, this week. Yay. Um, it's not going to be tomorrow. It's going to be on Thursday, no. right? Thursday. Yep, Thursday, yeah. Thursday. We're going to have another show related to AI, but with video games. This conversation is going to be with Michael Puskar. I think Puskar. We will find out on Thursday. He is a co-founder and CTO of the company MPCX. And we are going to talk about the future of gaming realism. How AI will blur the lines between reality and virtual worlds. At 10 a.m. Pacific, we're going to have that show. That's right. See you then. And until then, stay safe, everyone. Thank you once again, Ami. Bye for now. Good luck, Michael. All right. Check out past episodes, transcripts, blogs, and more on our website, 
dojo.nearsoft.com.